This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Divorce. Divorce. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season four, episode seven of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, the Festival of Living Art. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Initiative. I feel like these were similarly good and bad. Okay. Don't you? Yeah, Sure. I'm interested to talk about them. Me too. I'm interested to talk about them. I'm also excited because this weekend we can play the Buffy board game. Yeah? I took the three cards out that we haven't gotten to yet, uh, and we can play it. And that won't affect the game. Sounds good. I'm finally all better. I was sick. Yeah. Somehow my voice was like not correct for about a week, and we we didn't have to do any podcasts during that time. So instead of saying horse, you just said not correct. Right. It was incorrect. (laughs) Yeah, your voice was wrong. Uh, (laughs) Last time we were recording, I was like starting to feel sick. I wasn't sure if I was sick. It wasn't COVID. I don't think. We took a home test. It was a pregnancy test, but like it said no COVID. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, if you're pregnant, you have COVID. If you're not pregnant. (laughs) No, those are supposed to be pretty accurate. It felt like a cold. Yeah. Weirdly, I didn't get it. Yeah. Which normally I do. So that's weird. But like yesterday, my voice started being better. No, being correct. Yes, yes, yes. I'm excited to film the board game and put it online for you guys to watch. Oh, we're filming it? Oh, we're filming it. I'm also excited just to play the game. And because we always say we play board games and we haven't done that yet. We've been meaning to. Yeah. It's hard to film a board game. You got to have like nine cameras. Yeah. We have a five-star review, Brian. Nice. Thank you so much to Aaron Cat M. Thank you. We drank some wine this week. We did. This one grew on me. Yeah. It Apparently, it pairs well with chocolate, which is unusual for a wine. And unlike the wine we had previously. Yes, we had a bite of chocolate with that, and we were like, mm. Yeah, well, the wine went from like, this is great, to like, okay, this does not go with chocolate. Right. <laughs> but this one says it weirdly does go with chocolate, but we didn't have any. Yeah, so if you're about to eat a cookie, switch to this one. The 2018 Rosa Obscura Red Blend from California. And if you like wine, you can support us by buying wine. Yeah, we have a partnership with Wing.com. And right now, the day this comes out, November 23rd through Thanksgiving Day, so just a couple more days, there's a even more special deal than normal where when you sign up for Wink, you get four bottles of wine for $24.95. Usually it's $25.95. So $5 off, four bottles of wine, plus free shipping. And you can do that by clicking the link in the episode description or in our social media bio only through Thanksgiving Day at this price. So if you haven't signed up for Wink yet, you can get a bunch of cheap wine and support us at the same time. I'm telling you, Buffy and Gilmore, they pair well with wine. Not that they need wine, but they pair well with it. Mm -hmm. It's fun to pause and discuss and like swirl our glasses around. Yeah, and be like, can you believe what Emily is doing? Anything else we should tell them? Or should we keep our secrets? I think we should keep our secrets. We watched Sneakers, which is an old movie from, not old movie, but from like the 90s. Yeah. Doesn't hold up perfectly, but I still thought it was pretty fun. Something from one of the shows reminded me of that. I don't remember what it is, but I'll remember it when we get to it. I remember, I think. But I'll tell you when I get to it. Okay. So let's move on to shows. Okay. So Brian, we started with Gilmore Girls. Why don't you tell everyone about the Festival of Living Art? So this episode's about the Festival of Living Art. Mm Mm-hmm. It's actually living pictures. They never once say living art. I don't know why we're calling the episode something different than the festival. I know. I, th- I thought that was weird, too. When I was watching, I was like, wait, what? Uh, but the episode is about the town putting on this show last minute. So it's like a big production to get this done in time. And it's also dealing with a few smaller things like Lane trying to find a new guitarist. But mostly it's about this festival. Oh, it's also about Suki having her baby. Or getting ready to have her baby, rather. Mm-hmm. The episode opens, Rory is back to do laundry specifically and visit her mom. There's got to be another reason for her to come home. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know that laundry is her only reason, but she does say it is. But Lorelai is embarrassed that Rory might notice that she's clipping coupons, which I, I feel like she's done this in other episodes. I was trying to look it up. I know when she's getting married to Max, they say something like, where are we going to keep the coupons? Not, like they're trying to, you know, discuss those little details. Yeah. There's definitely been mention of coupons. Well, anyway, she's embarrassed by the fact that she might be clipping coupons, which is silly. Rory really doesn't want her to either. Yeah, I mean, she gives her shit, but I think it's because her mother's embarrassed and she knows that. But she's not embarrassed to lie to her daughter because (laughs) Rory goes outside and comes back and is like, um, the washing machine's broke and you didn't tell me that when I told you I was coming home to do laundry? And she's all like, no, because I wanted you to see me. (laughs) It's like, okay, cool. 
Meanwhile, outside in the same scene, Lane is auditioning her 200th or so terrible guitarist for their band. Now that Ben or Mike or David is gone, whatever the name of her boyfriend is. David? Dave. Dave. I knew it was Dave. Did you? I got the, I was the third one and I'm most confident about it. Yeah. So since Dave's gone, they need a new guitarist and they're auditioning him and he's terrible too. Like all of them have been terrible. Uh, it's so bad that Lane just like walks in and just runs the kitchen faucet over her head and walks out. Yeah. She doesn't say anything. Yeah. It's funny. Throughout this episode, though, Suki is struggling because a week has passed since her due date. Uh, and she's like ready to blow any second. We also get to meet in this episode Jackson's brother, Bo, played by Nick Offerman. Ooh. He's like a less whiny rune. He still whines. He's like less rude. Yes. I mean, he has a right to be annoyed. He's more of a passive aggressive rune. Yes. Rune's just aggressive. Yeah. Rune's very direct. So Bo is in this episode for like maybe two minutes total screen time wise. But he's also like the funniest part of this episode, I feel like. Okay. He's got a bunch of like quick funny lines just complaining about stuff. Yeah. He's hanging out at their place because he promised to help out when the baby came. But since Suki is like a week past her due date, he's been there for a week and he's missing a bunch of work. And he's being a total ass about it, constantly mentioning how much money he's out because he's there. Yeah, so like change his flight. Yeah. At one point he gets off the phone with an airline ticket agent that he's upset with. And he just says like, well, she sounded hot. <laughs> <laughs> And when Jackson suggests they, like, maybe go outside to pick some zucchinis because he's bored, he's like, oh, yeah, that might be something. <laughs> Super funny. I'm confused because he calls this town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, like, a hick town? Or and a city town? Yeah, he calls Jackson Big City. Yeah. And then he references, like, the town they're from, which sounds like a very small town. So yeah. I'm like, which is it, Bo? Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's very confusing. I think he thinks there's more to do in his, like, hick town because you can, like, shoot glass bottles or something. I don't know. Who knows? Also, Suki and Jackson have decided to have a home birth for little Davy or Colgate. Did they decide this in the last week since she's been overdue? Like, this seems like something you decided a few months ago. Yeah. He also is like, I just put the sheets on the bed, the, like, plastic sheets. But it's like, you probably should have those on there a week ago. That's why I'm like, they must have just changed their mind. Yeah. Lorelai acts supportive, but it's clear later in the episode that she thinks this is a super gross idea. Uh, Suki has also hired a very stern doula, a woman named Bruce. Bruce is very intense and does not take shit from anyone, uh, especially not Bo. Her first line in the episode we meet her is, The bedroom is now prepared for the baby. Your husband tried, but he screwed it up, so I fixed it. <laughs> then she like looks at Lorelai and she's like, There's somebody new here, and there's some <laughs> anti-midwife energy in the room. It's true. Yeah, and she's like, It's got to be Lorelai, which it is. Lorelai doesn't want this to happen. No. Although Lorelai's trying to be super positive for Suki. This also mentions them needing extra buckets, which Lorelai's like, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bruce, like, scolds the men for not, quote-unquote, serving the baby at all times and sends them out for errands. Bo is, like, clearly scared of her, and all of that is very funny. Yeah. She's like, Bo, what's the first thing I told you? He's like, I don't know. I wasn't listening. He <laughs> <laughs> just says that. And she's like, do we need two people to get balloons? And Bo's like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get flowers. Yeah, he's so intimidated. Yeah. It's very funny. A different shift in energy for him. Yeah. Suki does seem to be in good spirits, though, but later in the episode, after several people have commented on how big and, like, overly pregnant she is, she, like, panics and in the middle of the night just, like, shows up at Lorelai's freaking out because she just needs the baby out of her. That was so weird. She goes on, like, a walk through town and, like, two men point out how fat she is. Yeah, I know. Luke's like, you having twins? Well, I feel like Luke knows her well enough to, like... Ribber a little bit. Sure. But like Andrew, Andrew guys kind of a dick. <laughs> Andrew just like walks up, is like, whoa, oh my God, aren't you gonna pop? You're like an elephant. Which is funny because later she's like, I am like an elephant. Andrew's right. She's like, she's like, an elephant squirted me at the zoo. Maybe I got some of his gestation juices on me. Ew. Whatever that means. I don't want those juices on me for like sure. Like in Dead Alive? Like in Dead Alive. Yeah. There's that's that a, monkey. That's a deep cut. Thank you. Just like in Dead Alive, a deep cut at the zoo. Uh anyway. Back on Tarak. Tarak. Is that a planet? Yeah. Have you been to Tarak? It's from Dune. (laughs) Is it? No. Could be. It sounds like a planet from Dune, but it's not. So Suki goes over to Lorelai's freaking out. She's just like constantly in motion, trying to like wiggle and shake the baby out. Lorelai calms her down, though, by like showing Suki uh, Rory's baby box, which includes a bunch of items that we actually saw in the flashback episode, like the magazine she was reading. I don't remember the magazine. Wasn't she like watching TV when she went in there? She was like doing both. She had like a magazine in her hand. But yeah, she has a little tape player. She was listening to 99 Luff Balloons. Yeah, yeah. Which they showed us in that flashback. So that was a fun little Easter egg. And that like calms her down. Also, uh, Suki and Jackson give Lorelai a pager that's going to go off when Suki finally has the baby. That's a very important detail. Plays the entertainer. Yes. In like MIDI sound effects. Yeah. 
The biggest storyline this episode, though, obviously, is the Festival of Living Pictures. Not art, pictures. Did they not get the rights to the word... Pictures? I don't know. For the title. Yeah, it's so weird. Or someone, like, transcribed it wrong. They're like, it's too late. It's in the episode. Dosey calls an emergency meeting because Stars Hollow has taken over the last-minute hosting duties for the Festival of Living Pictures. The festival is an event where townsfolk dress up like famous paintings and statues and are presented live on stage, having to hold their positions to look exactly like those art pieces. Honestly, it looks fantastic when you see it. It's Emmy winning. Yeah. The makeup for this episode. And it should. It looks great, really. Every year, a town gets to put on this festival, and Stars Hollow did it seven years ago very successfully, but this year's host, Woodbury, had to cancel due to flooding, so Dosey offered to do it. The town is actually super pumped about this. Like, they are all down to do this. Miss Patty even says, like, you finally did something right, Dosey, and when he gives her, like, a stern look, she, like, mutters, your beard is so sexy. (laughs) Which is funny, because then for, like, the rest of the scene, he's, like, touching his beard and smiling. Yeah, Lorelai says something about his sexy beard, and you can tell he's like, okay. Yeah. But the town only has a week to prepare, and Mm. they have to come up with a new original recreation for the festival. Not a lot of time. So I'm a little confused. The festival passes on all the costumes and equipment and stuff. Yeah. It comes on a big truck. Yeah. But does the makeup person come on the truck? Because that's like the star of the show. Yeah. Lorelai's just like doing her own later. But like that seems like the most important part. I mean, there may be, like, detailed instructions on how to do the makeup. Yeah. And, like, pictures, I guess. But that seems like you need a professional. Maybe that woman that's randomly here. There's, like, a woman on stage with Taylor that says, like, no words. But she's somehow involved with the festival. Maybe she's the makeup artist, too. Yeah, she could be. We'll get to her, though. Okay. It's clear, too, that one of the reasons Dosey said that they would do the show is to show up his rival, Hank, the Taylor Dosey of Woodbury. There's some kind of feud between the two of them, I guess. Like you were saying, though, the head of the Connecticut Arts Council is also there to help them prepare. Her name is Buff Otis. That's her name. Nothing wrong with a girl named Buff. No, there's not. She's got, like, shoulder pads and looks very proper and angry. She kind of looks and sounds like like the stern head of, like, an all-girls boarding school. Yes. Right? I've never seen the movie Madeline, but I read the book, and I imagine that the, like, headmistress woman in that is what this woman looks like. If you've seen Pippi Longstocking, the not-weird-dubbed one, the one with Eileen Brennan, Mrs. Peacock, from the movie Clue, she plays, like, an all-girls school headmistress. I'm going to take your word for it. Right. Buff Otis takes the stage, and the only thing she says is, Your enthusiasm shocks me. (laughs) So I'm assuming she, like, doesn't like that they're enthused? (laughs) They shouldn't be? I don't know. I think the joke is she's just maybe very serious. But then it seems like she should say, Your enthusiasm impresses me. Yeah, I mean, I don't. maybe she thinks they're not taking it seriously enough. I really don't know. Lorelai, meanwhile, just keeps making jokes that this woman wants to date Rory. I guess because she's staring at her. But yeah, I guess. It was dumb. It's a little weird. This scene also features a bunch of Kirk jokes. In the previous episode, Kirk went on a shockingly good date. Uh, and now he has a girlfriend, apparently. At the town meeting, he continually mentions his girlfriend, in quotations, his girlfriend. Like, he mentions it, like, six, seven, eight times. She's there, too. Yeah. He's like, excuse me, me and my girlfriend are coming through. Yeah, uh, there's a spot to sit behind me and my girlfriend. Me and my girlfriend also wonder that. Like, he just keeps saying it. Honestly, I don't think this joke is funny. Uh, and I usually love Kirk's jokes. It would have been if they cut it in half, or, like, less than that. Yeah, three times spread over the entire meeting would have been good. It was very funny at first, but I was like, okay, now you're creeping her out. She's gonna leave you. Kirk's got a lot going on in this episode yeah they were like wow that last kirk episode was great we should just like do a mostly kirk episode this should this be the kirk show i think he gets cast in this festival as jesus in the last supper and he is super pumped about it like super excited he high fives all his fellow apostles were most of his fellow apostles and he's like we're gonna go out to lunch at shakey's he reads the entire bible to prepare <laughs> Does he? Yeah, he's at the very end of the Bible in the last scene. Oh. He's wasted a lot of time on the Old Testament. He did not realize Jesus was not in there, we find out. I didn't catch that. He said that? Yeah, he says that. Mrs. Kim would be so proud. Yeah, she would be super proud. He also just gets, like, way too into character. Like, Daniel Day-Lewis preparing for a role, I feel like. He's wearing, like, several different costumes. Are those, like, the other apostles' costumes? Yeah, he's wearing robes. He's just, like, eating lentils with his hands. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Lorelai or someone was like, didn't they have utensils back then? He's like, yeah. (laughs) That's just how I eat them, I guess. Uh, And also, when he meets Judas, who's being played by the town Troubadour. Troubadour. Troubledore. Sure. uh, He instantly treats the Troubadour like shit. Uh, Like, Troubadour asks, like, "Uh, so where do I go for my fitting? And Kirk is like, oh, I think I know where you're going, pal. (laughs) 
this is also like funny to a point, but then it yes. becomes like so much of the episode. Totally agree. It's like funny, but then it's like we hit the joke too many times. Later, the festival is almost canceled because Hank, intentionally it seems, sent only half of the Last Supper's table to sabotage the festival. Very important detail. And Taylor literally like just hears this and like gives up immediately. <laughs> He's just like, oh, well, throw back in the truck. We're done. Just like doesn't even like try to find a solution. He's like, we're done. But then Kirk gives like a little sermon with a bunch of like poetic language that doesn't all feel relevant. Yeah, very Jesus. Yeah, but very Jesus-y and then convinces them all to just go ahead with the festival. We don't see that on screen. We just see him kind of in the background like giving a speech and lots of people are gathering. Yeah. When Lorelai and Suki walk by. Side note, Luke sees all this and sees that the table is like incomplete and insists to Lorelai while she walks by, unprompted, that he will not be making a replacement table for them. He just won't. Uh, he obviously does. Yeah. I guess Luke's a softie at heart. The table is very cool. As yeah. Luke says, it's forced perspective. It's like at an angle. You couldn't use it as a real table. Right. But like looking at it from straight on, it looks like the painting would. Yeah. We sat at a table like that at that restaurant in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the table that was like totally angled that we were afraid to set our drinks down on. Yeah, I almost want to say we talked about that on here. I can't oh, we remember. might have. Lorelai is excited to reprise her role from seven years ago as the Renoir girl. She looks like the Renoir girl. I think it's supposed to be a pretty woman and, you know, Lorelai is a pretty woman. I looked it up. She doesn't really look like her. Yeah, well, I mean, who else? Is Miss Patty going to play her? No, but they just keep saying she's the spitting image of her. and She's... Not. Sure. Also, they keep like asking her if she still fits in the dress, and she says she's super excited to wear the dress. She doesn't wear a dress. It's a shirt. She's wearing jeans. That's her funny. her bottom half doesn't show. The painting's wearing a dress, but they don't really do their bottom halves. That's interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah. That's a mistake. Kind of, yeah. She's wearing like a shirt that's kind of like the top half of a dress, but Rory has a full dress on. I don't know. I don't know. But, unfortunately for her, at casting, she finds out she was not given any role whatsoever. Hmm. She asks Dose, she's like, is it a mistake? He's like, no, you flinched last year. And so he doesn't trust her. And like, it, as much as you want to hate Taylor Dosey, like I always do, it seems that uh, everyone seems to agree. Yeah, Miss Patty's <laughs> like trying to avoid her. <laughs> she knows she didn't get cast and she also agrees. Yeah. She flinched. At some point she's like, oh, honey, you flinched. You flinched bad. You she almost- said, you flinched. <laughs> yeah, you almost knocked Terrence over. They keep saying that. Terrence is her co-painting. Yeah. So, also, Ter- is that Paris's life coach? We're just going to name two people Terrence? Yeah, I guess. Terrence isn't that crazy a name. Terrence is a bit crazy name. But we also don't know Terrence, as far as I know. Yeah. Dosie says that she won't be playing the Renoir lady this time, but she'll be backstage helping instead. He says that, like, that's what you're going to do. That's your job. I was, like, watching this kind of like, why don't you just tell him to fuck off? Like, well, I'm not going to do anything then. Do it yourself. Why would I work for you after you insult me? Specifically helping with costumes because she's good at, like, sewing and stuff. And she agreed to do that before she got uncast. Right. But it's also just like, I'd be like, nah, nah, I'm out. Sorry, buddy. In my head, it's like, you don't owe Dosie or the town anything, really. Also, she's got leverage because Rory's going to be playing an important part in the festival. Earlier when they were at Luke's, Rory's kind of excited to be like, I'm just going to have like a nice low-key role this year. You know, I'll be helping backstage. I can take it easy. But meanwhile, through the glass, we could see that Buff Otis, yeah, I'm going to call her her whole name, Buff Otis and Taylor Dosey are like examining her and like comparing her to like a piece of art in their hand. And they like yell through the glass like, turn to the side. We need to see her profile. Which again, they just demand this of her. They don't ask. They just demand. I hate Dosey so fucking much. They just demand that she look both ways, and they're like, cool, we're going to cast her as, like, the new, unique painting, the portrait of a young girl named Antia. Well, anyway, now Rory tells her mom, like, well, you know, if they want me to do that, um, they're going to have to give you the role you want. Which I was like, yes, extort them. That's what you need to do. And she even goes so far as to be like, I'm going to wait until they fitted the dress for me, and then I'm going to make this ultimatum. Yeah. Side note, totally unimportant. They had this conversation at Yale while Rory's doing laundry, which is confusing because I don't know what the timeline here is for this because— Lorelai said she was going to call the repairman, but, like, maybe they didn't come that day. Yeah, that's true. It could, yeah. Also, why is Rory constantly doing laundry? Because she's a dirty Yale girl. Yeah, I guess Lorelai asked that. She also has, like, four towels in one machine. I'm like, girl, you got to consolidate. You're in college now. You you have to pay quarters for these. You don't just get to— She's saving a lot of money with her mom's coupons. I do remember way oversorting my laundry at first in college because it's what we did at home. We like did like whites and darks and lights and blacks. But I was like, there's only four machines in this dorm. I probably shouldn't do that every time I do laundry and it costs money. Yeah. 
I've never known how to do laundry. I just put it all into one and do cold. I basically do that now. So when they bring this up to Dozy, he just folds. The laundry. He starts. <laughs> She's like, you're giving this to my mom. Also, you're folding this laundry. <laughs> There's a lot of it. We don't see this, though. Well, we see him. We don't see the confrontation between him and Rory, but we do see him reluctantly tell Lorelai, like, you still fit in that? Okay. The dress. Mm-hmm. That you're not going to wear. Hank didn't send it. That part's not true, but. Right. Also in this episode, we get to see one of Lane's band's auditioners, Gil. Gil is played by Sebastian Bach, who is a very real lead singer of Skid Row. You didn't know that. I did not know that. But as soon as I saw him, I was like, you look like a real performer. Yeah. He, like His hair is amazing. It looks like a, like a lion's mane. <laughs> yeah. It's so puffy. He's a nice man. Yeah, he's a super nice man. Old man. <laughs> He is not an old, old man, but he's much older than the rest of the band, and they are uncomfortable about it. <laughs> he's amazing on guitar, super good, and also super positive and, like, pumped to be working with the band. Thinks they're great, but when he steps away to make a call to a sandwich shop he owns because he's an old man, <laughs> the group is clearly, like, uncomfortable with his age difference. Zach specifically is like, we can't keep this guy. Yeah, and they agree that if even one of them doesn't want this new band member, they won't keep him. You know... I just Googled this. Sebastian Bach is five years older than the actress that plays Lane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I told you Lane is, like, much older than... Yeah. She's, like, 30 in this episode. She was born in 1973, and this oh is 2003. She's, she's 30 in this episode? She does not look 30. She probably also doesn't look 18. Sure. But, yeah, they're, like, speculating that he's maybe in his late 30s or even 40s, but, like, Lane's in her 30s. The other two are also older than they're supposed to be, but not as old as Lane. I feel like Zach got huge this season. He just looks so tall now. He and Riley did something? <laughs> yeah, he was just near Riley. Um, so it's really up in the air if they're going to get Gil, but it seems like they're probably not going to choose him because it's going to be weird. I thought his phone call was, like, super funny. Just, like, all business. Like, I don't remember the woman's name, but he's like, I told you, Frank, when I'm not there, Becky's me. You gotta listen. Yeah. She knows where the extra prosciutto is. And then he gets out the phone, he's like, oh, kids. <laughs> super funny. Yeah, they're probably the same age as these people. These kids are supposed to be, like, 18. Right. Brian uh, keeps listing things that, like, put in time how old Gil is compared to them. Which, like, really upsets Zach. He's like, you gotta stop me. Yeah. And, yeah and at Zach- some point, he's gotta go, and he's like, go rest. Brian and Zach are funny. Yeah. When we finally get to the festival, though, I have to stress the makeup looks fantastic. We've already said it, but, like, legit, it, I was, like, impressed by how it looked. But everyone is stressed at the festival because, number one, Hank from Woodbury is sitting in the front row, obviously hoping that they fail. That was fun because he was just introduced with, like, a glance to Taylor, and we immediately knew who he was. Yep. Without any words. And two, they're stressed because Lorelai probably is going to flinch. Dozy opens with, like, a speech where he shits all over Woodbury. <laughs> It's, like, so mean about it. He's all like, Woodbury's gonna do it, but they got a little rain, a little wet, and they're like, oh, guess we're not gonna do it. It's not important. The stage for this is honestly huge, and I feel like there should be more people at this in this audience. Yeah. Like, how it. expensive was this festival? I don't know. It's gotta be very expensive, and there is an audience there, but I feel like it should be, like, triple or quadruple the size. If this happens every year, though, are people, like, driving all over Connecticut to go see it if it's the same thing every year? I agree what you're saying makes sense, but... Can you people afford to put it on? If yeah, and if they use the same stuff every 50 year. 50 people come? Can they afford 50 more extras? <laughs> the show, yeah. Rory goes on stage with like a ferret over her shoulder. Her thing looks great, goes perfectly. Everyone loves her. It's so small. Like the Last Supper takes up the whole stage. But Rory, I'm like, can you even tell that it's like a real person? It just looks like a tiny picture up there. Mm-hmm. There's trouble backstage. Obviously, Kirk is still hateful of Judas. And Judas betrays Kirk by mentioning that he's the one who's got his car in the towaway zone. And then they just start fighting. He's like, you Judas! Which, like, that one fits. So they're fighting, like, right until, like, literally right before the curtain is called. And the episode actually does a good job of creating tension. Because you're like, there's no way they're going to pose. They're not going to keep this pose. Like, Judas and Jesus are going to kill each other. Uh, But they do. They just, like, keep totally still. Looks fantastic. As soon as it's over, Judas is like, and you guys watched the first two Matrix movies on DVD together without me. (laughs) They're really into the Matrix, too. I know. Amy Sherman Palladino. Like, do you only know Lord of the Rings and the Matrix? I feel like you mention both of those all the time. They're big at the time. But I also love that Kirk denies all these things, too. (laughs) 
He's all like, you're just hearing rumors. I also, there's a line where he said he heard all these things from like various yeah. disciples. And Kirk's like, when did you speak to Labia? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Kirk was a little funny. It was it was a little funny. It, sometimes it was too much, but it, it was also, it was funny though. Andrew, again, in this scene is like hitting on some statue lady. Yeah, it's, he's weird, man. I don't remember him being this weird. Well, he's the guy in the dance episode, the dance marathon episode. Uh-huh. Where they set up that he has like a different girlfriend every year that he always breaks uh-huh. up with. So maybe he is supposed to be like kind of a womanizer. Oh, maybe. I guess we'll see as the show goes on. Also at the festival, Lane is decided she's going to break the bad news to Gil. He's just kind of standing in the back watching. Yeah, but when she goes over to him and he says a bunch of like positive stuff about how he's going to try so hard to make whatever band he's in the like the best one possible and it's okay that she's going to turn him down. She, he like, like knew she was going to turn him down. He got the vibe. Yeah. But he's just, like, so positive about what's going to happen. She just, like, decides without Zach's approval, just, like, tells him, you're in the band. And this scene is actually super funny because then he's, like, awesome. And then he goes to his wife and kids that are there. Yeah. He was, like, standing off to the side. So you thought he was alone. Yeah. He's, like, honey, kids, I'm in the band. (laughs) They're so excited that he's in this, like, college age, I guess, but, like, high school, college age band. Also during this, uh, Nicole visits Luke at his diner. If you guys remember, Nicole and Luke got married off screen between seasons when they were on a cruise, but then immediately decided it was a mistake. And so they've been in divorce limbo this whole season, essentially going through like a lengthy litigious divorce. She visits and she's like, hey, I think us getting married was like stupid and dumb. We should definitely not have done that. But like, do we need that to get in the way of our relationship, essentially? (laughs) Like, we still like spending time together. What if we postpone the divorce and we just, you know, date? So I guess we're not done with Nicole. Yeah. I just like wonder if like the actress just like wasn't available for the first like six episodes or something. And they were like, (laughs) we'll write a reason why you're gone. Divorce. Divorce. But the thing we've all been waiting for is Lorelai. Because we want to know, is she going to flinch? Is she not going to flinch? She's backstage freaking out. And she finally admits that she flinched. She knows she flinched hard last time. But Rory gives her this big pep talk about how she's going to do great, uh, which, like, maybe isn't going to work. <laughs> Rory then she's like, I'll love you either way. Also, the order of this show seems weird. Like, it seems like The Last Supper should be last. Yeah. Or, like, the Rory thing, because that was, like, their unique piece should have been last. The Last Supper seems like the biggest art that they had. Yeah. Like, the most impressive thing. All those people standing still, too. So you, that, you think, would go last. But I think they put Lorelai last because that's what we're waiting for, for yeah. her to flinch. She goes on stage, and she doesn't flinch. And it's great because, like, she's not flinching. She's not flinching. We're all worried she's going to flinch. They're drawing it out. And then her pager goes off about Sugi's baby. And you're like, oh, she's going to flinch. But she doesn't. She holds it the whole time. And The pager's going off for most of it. Yeah, for almost all of it. Miss Patty's, like, super nervous that Lorelai's going to flinch. And she says, oi, to the vey. And she, like, crosses herself. <laughs> it's very funny because that's, like, a Yiddish phrase. Right, but a yeah. Catholic thing to do. Yeah. She must go to that Jewish Catholic church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, And then the episode ends with the festival being a big success and the girls running to Suki's for the baby. So that was the episode. Stace, do you think it was a good one? Um, I don't know. It's pretty fun because the art's very cool. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a unique one. But it's very much like a townspeople episode. Yes. Like, really nothing is happening in the Lorelai and Rory world. Mm -hmm. They're doing laundry. And they're in the festival where, like, any plot development is all in the minor characters. Lane's band, Suki's baby, Kirk. I guess it's not really plot development, but I don't know that Kirk has a ton of that. And those were all fun stories. Like, I like Gil. Mm-hmm. We decided Kirk was funny. I wasn't super interested in Suki's story, but it, yeah, Bo was funny and Bruce was funny. It was funny, but it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. I mean, I I think I agree with you on all that. Like, there wasn't any drama in this episode as far as, like, Suki's story was just like, whatever. Yeah, you're waiting to have the baby, and you freak out about it a little bit. There was, like, a lot of fun movement in the episode. Like, direction-wise, I think it's fun. Like, the part where Suki's walking through the town, and we, like, get glimpses of all these different things. As weird as it is that all these men are calling her fat, that's kind of a fun choreographed scene. Mm -hmm. And then, again, like, when they're all getting ready backstage, the camera's kind of, like, switching back and forth between sides. Yeah. There's different people in costumes running around, people we don't even see the paintings of. Mm -hmm. We just get glimpses of different things. The way the camera's moving is fun. It's, like, a creative episode, but Mm. I don't know that it's, like, on the page, my favorite episode. It also had a couple jokes that were really funny, but I feel like it did have a couple jokes that sort of fell. Like, they just hit the Kirk button too many times, I feel like. Some stuff felt dated, too. Yeah. Like, the joke of Lorelai hating a home birth feels dated. Yeah. But, I mean, it was definitely not a bad episode at all. The show's good. I mm-hmm. just, I've seen it have higher heights. But it's still good. Still good episode. If you loved it, great. It was a fun episode. The, the living art was incredibly impressive, especially for a show like this to pull off. Living pictures. I'm sorry. 
I wonder if it was like ratings week or something. Yeah, I wonder. Okay. Should we move on to something else? What? Like, you want to move on to like a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 4, Episode 7, Brain Drain, Phoebe and Paige must work quickly before Piper is tricked into giving up all of their powers when the source taps into her brain, altering her perception of reality and placing her in a mental institution. That's kind of the whole episode, IMDb. So she's like in the Matrix in her head thinking that she's in a mental institution? I don't know if she's in the Matrix, but... Well, the same, you know, like the reality is false. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. I'm just trying to mention the Matrix because I know Amy would love it. And Amy listens to this. (laughs) She wants to know what happened on Charmed. It's unclear. Do you think that the source is altering her brain to make her think she's in a mental institution? Or do you think they alter her brain and she thinks she's like in the Civil War and then she just goes crazy and has to be put in a mental institution? I definitely think that she thinks she's in a mental institution and she's not. So she thinks she's in a mental institution and the only way to get out is to tell the mental institution attendees, in quotes, the way to get to their powers, perhaps? Yeah. I bet like the therapist there is like trying to draw out the information it needs to steal their power. Like they're going to do shock therapy on her or something unless she talks? Yeah, or put her in padded rooms. You remember the source, of course. Yes, of course. The source, of course. All we really know about them is that they're like the first in Buffy. I think that's all we've said. They were only mentioned in like one episode. They're the source of all evil. Yes. They sent Shax. Yep, Shax who like killed somebody with True. his beefy arms. Yes. So they're not cool with the source. The source is mean. But I think at some point she meets Phoebe and Paige, like, in her altered reality. And they're, like, kind of mean to her in a way. And she's like, that's not who they are. You think they're in the mental institution, too? Yeah, but not really. Right. Like, I think they visit her as her sisters. And, like, their personality's off. Piper's like, that's not. What? They say something like, you're really good at magic, we hear. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not exactly. (laughs) And then Leo shows up in the dream, but he's a human. Yeah, and she's like, uh, not into this as much. Do you think that they're somehow, like, controlling her perception? Like, they find a way to do it with their magic, maybe? Uh, I think they try to. So that's why the sisters have to show up as, like, fake representatives of them. They, like, appear, but it's not quite right. Yeah, I think that the source is like, okay, well, her, her sisters have shown up in this fake reality. I've got to also show her the sisters, but, like, make them serve my purposes. So the source alters. They try to maybe project into her reality. Yeah, I think maybe they do a little bit. And the source somehow fucks with it. I think that they do. So then Piper's like, wait, I do have sisters. And the source is like, god damn it. All right, yeah, you do have sisters, but they're different. So in a way, Paige and Phoebe do kind of help yes. by, by putting themselves there. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up. She's just laying on the couch at home. Yeah. She was, like, kind of hugging herself because she thought she was in a straitjacket. Okay, well, that was probably traumatizing. Yeah. Ratings week for them, too. But luckily, everyone comes out all right. I wonder how the source tapped in. Is this, like, something they got to protect against? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the source can do whatever it kind of wants. That's scary. Yeah. They probably put up some kind of fence then. Like just a fence? Like a magic fence. Oh, magic fence? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it keeps Leo in, too. Mm -hmm. It's like an invisible magic fence. Yeah. This has been Meanwhile Meanwhile on Charmed. Stacey, obviously then we watched Buffy, and I'm very interested to hear what you thought of it. Can you tell us about the initiative? So this episode, we finally get to learn what the big bad secret is, I think. I think we have a lot of the information now. Mm -hmm. Basically, Professor Walsh is running a secret operation with all these, like, commando dudes to capture various magical creatures and, like, I don't know, study them or, like, reprogram them, maybe? Mm Mm-hmm. They don't exactly get into all that, but Spike is one of the test subjects. So, like, Spike is there, and everybody's after him, Buffy and the crew, and this secret underground crew. And turns out Riley is one of the secret commando people, which makes sense. And it's also about Riley and Buffy's romance, and, like, Riley and Willow's friendship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. It all works, though. It is a lot going on. So it opens on Riley's friend Forrest ogling all the women in the cafeteria, just loudly saying how he feels about their bodies. Mm-hmm. Apparently him and Riley live together and they're having a party and he's hoping all these hotties turn up. But Riley's just focused on grading papers and he doesn't think with his dick like his friends do. Their third friend, Graham, shows up. This guy barely speaks. Forrest eventually points out Buffy. He asks Graham if he thinks she's mattressable, much like in... Angel, when Doyle calls Cordelia stiffening. (laughs) Classy language, Joss. 
I don't know if Joss wrote both of these episodes or not. Riley's like, yeah, that's Buffy. She's whatever. I guess she's good looking, but pretty weird, actually. Peculiar is what he calls her. Meanwhile, Buffy is just klutzing up the place. She doesn't know how to work the soda machine or the ice cream machine. So she just like leaves the soft. She breaks the ice cream machine with her like super strength. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I I guess I didn't put that together. But she just like leaves it running. For the next guy. (laughs) And then she like runs into someone and spills everything she just spent forever creating. Riley says there's something off about her, but none of them address that what she's doing right now is very weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, none of them are like, wow, she's really clumsy. But they do mention that they know she dated Parker, and they say what guy wouldn't want to get his hands on her? Cut to Spike slowly waking up, muttering about how he wants to get his hands on Buffy. To kill. Right. Not to touch. But Spike is in captivity. He stands up, he realizes he's in this little cell with like a force field, and he's not the only one. There's all kinds of cages filled with demons and such. Very like white, sterile environment. A little opening in his ceiling opens and a little blood Capri Sun comes down for him, but his cell neighbor shouts not to drink it because it's drugged. I'm pretty sure this is Sunday's friend who Mm -hmm. escaped in the first episode. He said whoever's running this place is drugging them and doing experiments on them. He mentions the Slayer, and Spike takes this to mean Buffy is somehow involved in this operation, I think. Like, somehow she caused him to be here, and he's like, I'm going to get her. I don't care how brilliant she is now. Cut to Buffy klutzing up a pen. (laughs) She's got, like, ink all over her notes. And after this class, Willow goes up to Riley and is like, hey, how come you didn't call Oz's name when you did attendance? He's not, like, gone forever, right? And Professor Walsh jumps in. She's like, yeah, he is. If he can't show up to my class, he's done. She's made this clear in the past. So I don't know why Willow's expecting Oz to still be in good standing. I don't understand what her point is at all here. Because it's sort of like, did you not notice he's not in the credits anymore? He's gone. <laughs> yeah, Willow must not have watched the credits. Yeah, Spike's in them now. You didn't think that was weird? Oh, was Spike? Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't see that. Oh, Oz. Uh, I know. He'll be back. No. What if he gets captured by Professor Walsh? He's a creature. He's gone. Mm-hmm. That might happen. But Buffy's like, hey, show some compassion. You're a mean lady, and I'm not afraid to tell you that. Walk away. After Buffy leaves, Professor Professor Walsh. Professor Walsh. You say it. Are you doing ASMR right now? No, I'm doing tongue twisters. I do sound a little sick still. After Buffy leaves, Professor Walsh tells Riley that she likes Buffy. He's like, really? You don't think she's peculiar? And Professor Walsh is like, no, she's definitely mattressable. Uh. (laughs) Later, Riley is telling Forrest and Graham what Buffy said to Professor Walsh. He's like, can you believe that? What a crazy thing she did. Forrest is like, I don't know. Seems kind of cool and ballsy to me. They're just like playing Frisbee inside, by the way. Like in the common room, just over the top of people reading their books. I don't feel like that's crazy for like big alpha dudes to do, actually, though. At like a college, I feel like. No, but I would freaking move if I was the people they were playing over. Yeah. There's just a bunch of people right where they're playing Frisbee. Then Parker walks by. And Forrest wants to scoop on Buffy. He's like, oh yeah, I fucked her. But wow, is she clingy. You know the difference between a freshman girl and a toilet seat? A toilet seat doesn't follow you around after you use it. And Riley just punches him in the face hard. We find out later that Riley like really has a lot of respect for toilets. I was going to say. I carry around all of my toilet seats when I'm done with them. You son of a bitch. I like that type of woman. Is Parker okay? He's been getting hit a lot. Dude's probably got brain damage at this point. I feel like Anthony Stewart Head was like, guys, I'm not okay medically. Can we please write a new character who America (laughs) wants punched all the time? I do like how the show gives us that catharsis. We're like, oh, Parker's a womanizing asshole. Well, you're going to see him get punched in the face a lot. Does Giles ever punch Parker? That'd be fun. Yeah, that's how the show ends. The whole show? No, season seven cuts to five years later riley and his friends can't believe he did that and then there's this really weird moment where riley realizes he's like in love with buffy out of nowhere yeah he's like huh i punched a man i guess i do love buffy that's how emotions work for men and his friends are all like we all knew it man we've always known it's like disney or something (laughs) like shakespeare it's so weird they go from being like super crass dudes mostly just forrest Riley's a sweet boy, and Graham has, like, two lines. But they're just suddenly like, go for it. What are you going to do? you got to follow your heart. 
go see her. And there's like romantic music playing. It's such a weird tone shift. Get to the airport before her <laughs> plane takes off and tell her you love her. And then he says, guess I got to go see a girl and sprints off like a puppy dog. I love that. Like He's like, the second he finds out he's in love, like, well, I need to act on this now. I know. You just found out, dude. Maybe make a plan. I don't want another man treating her like a toilet before I can get to her. <laughs> I love toilet seats. <laughs> I fucking love up. I'm so tall. Meanwhile, Spike has faked being drugged. So one of the lab workers comes to retrieve him, but he awakens and chokes the lab worker. So he faked drinking it, we have to assume. I think we see the blood underneath him too when he gets up. He also says he can't stay because he's got to go see a girl. So these two lab dudes are going to try to inject Spike with something. But in the chaos, one of them gets injected with it instead. Spike sets the other vampire free. They run out of the cell room together. But Spike immediately sacrifices this vampire and escapes. Like in a horror movie when someone like throws a chair behind them (laughs) to stop the villain. He just does that to this vampire. To a person. Yeah, to a vampire. I think he only was going to save that guy too because the guy could help him. Because he's like, you need me. I know the way out. Oh, yeah. Spike don't care. Yeah, Spike don't care. Giles and Xander are also in this episode. They're hanging out now. They're buddies. Is he still working for him or are they just friends? The writers, <laughs> They're both useless right now. Yeah. So. The writers haven't figured out anything for them to do yet this season, so they just stuck them together. They're pretty bored, feeling pretty unneeded, as they are. Giles is, like, sketching the military man that Buffy keeps seeing, but that's about all they've got so far. She drops by to let them know that she's taking Sad Sad Willow to a party tonight, so Xander and Giles should go on patrol. Giles kind of like gives her shit like, well, someone's got to deal with these guys. But it's like, first off, Buffy saved the world like a billion times. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, you do it. Secondly, like, these guys have been out for a while. For all you know, they're doing good. Yeah, he's also like, well, I don't know what else we can do. We know they're human, so there's not much more we can do. I'm like, call the police. You could go out and like watch for them, see what they do, write down their actions. Yeah, they have done, other than running into Buffy, they've done nothing to warrant assuming they're evil. I mean, they have weapons. That's the thing. Like, we don't. I don't know what they're doing yet. If they're just trying to capture demons and make them not hurt people, that sounds good so far. Mm -hmm. It might be bad. I don't know. Seems kind of menacing, but Riley seems nice. Later at Xander's place, Giles and Xander are prepping for their evening with a bunch of Xander's military equipment. I love the idea that that Giles goes to Xander's parents' house. (laughs) It really has nothing to do. He says he requisitioned all this equipment back when he was a military guy. Does that mean he stole it the time they went to get that gun to kill the judge? That's the only thing that makes sense. I'm confused by this scene. Like, he says he's not as skilled as he used to be. Like, he maybe doesn't retain as much of his military training. But he says when it comes to hand-to-hand, he's still the man. And whoever these guys are aren't ready to deal with him. But, like, has he tested this theory? He hasn't done any military stuff except, like, yell some commands in the season three finale. Right. Like, I don't get why he's so confident. He's fought a couple vampires here and there, then maybe he held his own. But, like, we've never actually seen an example of him doing anything with this military training. Right. Other than, like like you said, just yelling some stuff, yeah. This is all interrupted by Xander's mom yelling down that she's made a nice fruit punch for him and his friend. (laughs) Giles is interested if it's raspberry. It's kind of funny that Giles is just, like, an old man. They kind of acknowledge that it's weird that he's hanging out, but they just have to, like, go with it since he's not their superior anymore. Will's in the dorm listening to sad, sad music, and Riley shows up. This is weird. Yes. You mentioned this in the last episode, but he is huge. Like, I knew he wasn't small, but until this point, he's been right next to other giant dudes. Right. But standing in this doorway, he just takes off the whole fucking thing. Yeah, I know. The internet says he's 6'2", but I don't buy it. I think he's bigger. He, like, towers over Buffy. Yeah. I think she's 5'4", but he seems like a foot taller than I guess 6'2", 5'4", is just about a foot. I also want to mention real quickly while we're talking about the way Riley looks, I hate his hair so much. Okay. Just looks like greasy. I, I think it's got product in it, but just looks like greasy. But he, he shuts the door behind him. I know he's a TA, meaning he's a student. He's not a professor, but that still seems like inappropriate because he's kind of Willow's. He grades Willow's papers. Are men even generally allowed on the women's floors in dorms? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. They, I guess they are. Yeah. I think like my college, my building was co-ed. The floors weren't. But I think maybe by the end of college or a few years after I graduated, there were like co-ed floors even. Oh, okay. Some of my friends went to Christian colleges where like dudes were not 
allowed in your room with the door shut. They could come, but only before certain hours. And I don't think you could close the door. You could come whenever you wanted, or like you come over just so we're oh, clear. Okay, I okay. <laughs> you could come, but the door had to be open, <laughs> so no one did it. Just while I are you okay? Doors open. All right, make a mess. Um, none of that shit would fly above Otis's school. I'll tell you that much right now. But my college, there was no rules. I think maybe if you were having like an overnight guest, you were maybe like officially supposed to tell the front desk or something. But I don't know that anybody actually did that. But a teacher showing up at the dorm is weird. Yeah. There's a whole Boy Meets World episode about this. Fred Savage shows up, tries to fuck Topanga. It's a whole thing. Oh, wow. Which is weird because he's Ben Savage's brother. Yeah. They don't address that in the show. They don't address that in the show. Well, they're not brothers in the show. He's just like the professor. Just a dude that looks a lot like him and sounds like him. (laughs) And Corey's like, you can't have sex with my fiance. He's like, well, I'm gonna. And then they have a trial about it. Wait, they have a trial? Yeah, they have like a hearing. Mr. Feeney gets involved. Of course. It's a good show. We're watching the next. Yes. Okay, we'll pair it with Dragon Ball Z. We'll see how far we get. I'm down. Anyway. Boy meets balls. (laughs) Right? That's. I think that's what we decided. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Okay, so Riley is meeting with uh, Willow. Yes, he's there to ask for advice about Buffy. He has no idea what Buffy likes and wants, and he wants some intel. So sweet. Someone should invent Facebook for these people. Let's put that was for to see what your crush liked. Was he planning on talking to Buffy? Like, did he know she wouldn't be there? Yeah, I don't know, man. He just realized he loved her a second ago, so. Because he thought he was going to talk to Buffy, and he goes to her dorm, but Willow's there. But is that, like, who he wanted to seek out? It seems the way it is the way he talks to her, but. Willow notices that Buffy's slang sack is just, like, out. Shouldn't that just be never left out? Just lock that up every time you leave. How about? Willow tries to, like, casually kick it under the bed, and Riley's just like, here, let me help you with that, and just pushes it under, not really looking at what it is. So he tells Willow he's interested in Buffy, and she's like, okay, I could help you, and maybe you'll be really happy, but everything is terrible, and everyone lies, and it'll all end in sadness, so what's the point? She's in a mood, and that mood is not in the mood for someone else's love story at this time. And then Riley says, I've just never courted anyone like Buffy before. Ugh, what century is he from? (laughs) He's a vampire. To be fair, we say courted (laughs) kind of as a joke. Yeah. Like, whatever that time is before we were official, we call that when we were courting. Yeah, well, that, I had also seen the show, so maybe that's where I got it. But you didn't, like, tell your mother you were courting a girl. Right. But Riley realizes that Willow's not in the mood for this, so he goes to leave, and Willow's like, stop, she likes cheese. <laughs> is that the best you can do, Willow? Is that, like, something we've seen, even? Buffy like who doesn't like cheese? She tells him a couple other things Buffy likes. She mentions she's getting dragged to a party tonight. And Riley's like, oh, that's my party. Buffy's going to be at my party? Does she talk about me? Does she like me? Will she take me for a walk? (laughs) He's a puppy. Will's like, no, not at all. She doesn't talk about you ever. (laughs) By the way, I'm going to do the bare minimum to help you with this. It's just such a big shift in this episode from like Riley barely even thinking about Buffy as a person to like desperately wanting to be in her life. Yeah. So apparently the girl Riley was going to see was Willow, not Buffy. And apparently the girl Spike was going to see isn't Buffy either. It's Harmony. She's hanging up a unicorn poster to brighten her dungeon. She's still very hurt about what Spike did. He, he did try to kill her and then left. Yeah, women can be like really sensitive about that, I feel like. <laughs> so she slaps him. He barely apologizes and she immediately forgives him. He calls her his creme brulee, and she's like, ooh, Italian, which is very funny, because she wants to go to France more than anything. <laughs> That's yep. French. Yep. By the way, her hair is done in a way I used to do mine all the time during this period of history, just like little rubber bands kind of sectioned off mm-hmm. in a little web. She quickly realizes he's more interested in killing Buffy than being with her, but she'll take some sex first. Later, Xander and Giles are on patrol. Xander is, like, narrating. He's saying, like, every man faces this moment, watching, waiting for an unseen enemy. It's very dramatic. And Giles is just like, oh, shut up. (laughs) They, I guess, decide to split up. And Xander's alone, comes across Harmony, setting a bunch of Spike's shit on fire. He's like, careful, I'm highly trained to kill you. And she's like, whatever, I'm a vampire. And she just, like, slapped him, too. This is, like, the third time someone's been hit in this episode. So he kicks her, and then they just get into this, like, all-out slap fight. Just slow motion slap fight. (laughs) Clearly, neither of them really knows how to fight. She threatens to bite him, and I don't know why she just does it. Like, does she not know how? Could she not overpower him? I mean, she probably could. I guess she's, like, in a mood, too. It's not what she set out to do tonight. Yeah. She kind of maybe just wants someone to talk to. Anyway, they call it truce, and she just, like, starts telling Xander all of her problems. Like, the, the pile belongs to Spike. He's already left her to go find the Slayer. She's like, I just want to know why men always leave. He's gone. Xander's gone. <laughs> She's just alone, goes back to burning Spike's stuff. Xander's gone to tell Buffy that Spike is back. 
Willow and Buffy show up at the party. You can tell Willow's just barely keeping her shit together. Buffy says some of the guys are here already. What guys? You have no guys. All of their friends are accounted for. Yeah. They don't have any other f- named friends. Yeah, because every time they name a friend, they die. I know. They stopped <laughs> naming them. Hey, I'm... No! You're just a cute boy who I'm talking to. Boy number four. Willow rendezvous with Riley. Like, they stand back to back and she tells him what Buffy is wearing. Like, he wouldn't just recognize her. <laughs> this meeting almost seemed, like, planned. Like, we'll meet in the corner. You tell me which one Buffy is. Well, I think it's like she's reluctantly helping him, like, more than she wanted to because she doesn't hate him. I think she's also telling him what Buffy's wearing because Buffy dressed to dance. Mm-hmm. So Willow's like, that's info Riley might want. Mm-hmm. But he's like, uh, Riley don't dance. Riley big dog man. Is dancing at parties a thing? Like, I feel like everyone I was friends with in high school and college were not dancing people. We weren't cool. Like, in high school, we barely danced at the dances. It seems like such an awkward first date thing. People did dance at my dances in school. Yeah, people definitely did. But I just feel like it's such an uncomfortable thing to do with someone you have a crush on if you're not a good dancer, especially. Willow's like, fine, then just talk to her or whatever. And he just, like, walks right into this group of people she's with and says, excuse me, and they all just kind of move to the yeah, side. She's like, I'm talking to this woman now. No questions asked. But he has no idea what to say to her. He brings up the homework, offers her a wedge of cheese. Oh. It just, like, cuts to a different scene after that, but apparently that didn't stick, because a little later, Buffy's found some different boys to dance with, and Riley's moping on the couch with Willow. He doesn't understand why she doesn't like him. He's a good boy. Such a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of Oz's band's songs comes on. This makes Willow sad, and Riley barks at someone to skip the song. Willow's like, I'm just going to go. Why don't you go tell Buffy that I went home, and my sad exit can be your icebreaker? So he does. He interrupts another conversation Buffy's having, and the dude just, like, yields immediately. Well, when a, like, seven-foot dude walks up. <laughs> yeah, is that it's because he's big and scary? <laughs> yes. Riley's about to try something romantic again when Xander interrupts. He's got a secret to tell her somewhere besides here. And then Riley's friends kind of show up to make fun of him, but they also need him downstairs. They go to a different room. They look into some mirror that scans their retinas, opening a door that leads to an elevator. What fancy downstairs. What kind of frat is this? They just keep continuing their conversation about Buffy into a voice scanner. Like he says the word one girl. Was that the code, or does it just need to hear his voice? This isn't like sneakers. I think you can just say whatever. <laughs> yeah, this is the sneakers thing that I was talking about. Like, in sneakers, they, like, go out of their way to get this dude to say very specific words to, like, yeah. hack a voice scanner. But this, you just got to say anything into it. Just tell it how you're feeling. So they just keep having this conversation about Buffy as they casually enter this massive secret lab where Spike was, which seems to be headed by Professor Walsh. She informs them that Hostel 17, a.k.a. Spike, has escaped, and she tells them to suit up. So they're the commandos. I was surprised. I called Professor Walsh being a part of this, but for some reason I didn't group Riley into that. Yeah. By the way, this lab looks low budge. Super low budge. It's like this huge space, but it's so sparse. Like there's just like two beds in there with some people on it. And like the whole thing is covered in aluminum foil. They clearly have like one big room with like, I don't know, a giant in-ground pool. And they were like, (laughs) cover it in foil and we're set. It'll look real. She sends them after Spike. She keeps calling him, like, the creature, and they keep calling it it instead of, like, him. And she says that if they don't capture it, everything they've worked for could end tonight. Yeah, that seems crazy to me. I guess he could, like, get a bunch of vampires to attack them, I guess. I know. I At the time, that line didn't seem important, but after watching it, I was like, what could have gone wrong that, like, all of this would have ended tonight? Yeah, I mean, again, I guess he could, like, tell some powerful demon about them. I don't know. Riley's like, no one's failing on my watch. And she puts Riley in charge. He starts barking orders. Riley and his two friends go out with their guns. No masks. Every other time, they're always wearing masks. This is so dumb. (laughs) It's clearly so we know who they are. Yeah. Buffy's talking to Giles and Xander about Spike. Xander brings up Riley and calls him Teutonic. Do you know what that means? No. Yeah, I had to look it up. It's like a Catholic religious military order. But, like, they don't know that he's military yet. So I don't really get the insult. But Buffy is very offended. I don't buy that Xander or Buffy would know this word. Yeah. <laughs> this is the she word for like word... Dawson from Dawson's Creek, maybe. He'd get it, but that's it. So you do like Dawson's Creek. I've never seen the show. Like, she didn't know the word renaissance. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Buffy's brain capacity fluctuates every episode. It does. Buffy's like, tonight's the night I kill Spike. Here I go. Definitely going to do it. I'm going to go alone and lure him in. 
Xander insists that she take this flare gun so that they can come help her if she gets in trouble. That doesn't make any sense, really. N- n- no. What, what do they get? First off, just go then. Secondly, by the time if she's that desperate that she's got the ability to fire a flare gun, like she's done. Yeah, if she's like miles away. <laughs> Spike's gonna bite her. Yeah. Before you get there. But Spike is tech savvy. He's not sniffing around for no Buffy outside. He's broken into a computer lab and figured out where her dorm room is. So Buffy's just like out waiting on a park bench and Riley and his boys are spying on her. Riley's just relieved she's not fucking Xander, but wants to make sure she's not just sitting out there vulnerable either. Forrest wants to use her as bait, but Riley's like, no, I love her and I'm in charge. So he changes into some street clothes. Were they just like under his outfit or did he bring them? And he goes to talk to Buffy and she's like, uh, I want to be alone. He's like, uh, how about I take you to your room to be alone? Just this whole awkward thing where they can't say what their real motivation is. Yeah, it's pretty funny. They're both trying to like protect the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you should leave and I should stay. And she says, you think boys can take care of themselves and girls can't? And he says, yeah. <laughs> and then she says that's so Teutonic. Okay. It's very Catholic religious military of him to say, I, I don't know, maybe it just means like, old way of thinking yeah i don't know maybe she doesn't know what the word means yeah (laughs) she's like yeah that's teutonic if you understand any of this let us know yeah but neither one of them is gonna budge and then they hear scream and they both run in separate directions riley's boys are tracking spike on a device and see that he's going to the dorm spike shows up at buffy's dorm will is there moping still she's like what do you want I i can do spells that's what you wanted last time But that's not what he wants this time. He's there to kill her. But he says it's up to her if she wants to be a vampire or not. That's nice. Yeah, I guess if someone's gonna kill you, I guess that is nice. Yeah. I was not seeing how Willow was getting out of this one. Yeah. She's like, I'll scream. And he blasts the music. And then it shows the hallway and no one can hear her screaming. And it cuts to commercial with his mouth on her neck. This happened earlier this season with Harmony, where Willow almost got bitten before a commercial. Mm -hmm. I feel like people in the hall would have heard her scream, though. Like, she didn't scream that loud for one. She just kind of just heard her outside. Yeah. And then we come back from commercial, and Willow seems fine. Apparently, Spike's having a bit of a performance issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He keeps trying again. He just, he can't do it. He can't seem to bite Willow. It's pretty funny. It's, it's mapped onto, like, an ED problem, right? Yeah. He's like, I'm only 126. Doesn't this happen to all vampires? It doesn't happen to me. Yeah. And then Willow's, like, trying to take the blame. She's like, it's me, isn't it? You had to settle for me instead of Buffy. I'm not the kind of girl vampires want to bite. And Spike's like, no, I'd bite you in a heartbeat. I wanted to bite you last year. And Willow's like, really? I didn't know. He he totally made it clear he was going to bite her last year. In Lover's Walk? Yeah. Seemed obvious he wanted to kill her. We talked about this scene. It's funny, but also it's like, why is Willow doing this? But we decided that it was like, maybe she's just playing along until she has an opportunity to get out. Right, because like, it's kind of weird that she's not more afraid and is just in like problem solving mode, like legit trying to help him. Because we find out later he literally can't hurt her, but she doesn't know that at this time. Exactly. Like at any moment, his teeth could get hard again you think she'd be <laughs> you think she would like go for the bag under Buffy's bed and, yeah like, pull a cross out or something yeah because especially since they set that up yeah oh that would have been great but she's like all flattered that he would bite her <laughs> she's like maybe if we wait a half hour and try again and then she realizes this is crazy and tries to escape Riley's boys come running in with guns they got night vision on I don't really get why could they just look for him with the lights on I'm guessing it's because the students would be like who are these commandos in here Okay. So they're like, well, take all the lights out, and then people can't see us. But there's, who are the, why are the lights out, and who are these guys with well, guns? They, say, they say it was a prank. Yeah. But they don't see the guys with the guns if the lights are out. Okay. So they burst into the dorm. Spike fights them. Which is a little weird. I feel like we, we should talk about what's going on with Spike. Okay. Well, they say at the end that he's, they put something in him that makes him not able to fight. Yeah, he's got a microchip in his head that like prevents him from being able to hurt humans. Yeah. Well, they say that he can't hurt anyone without intense neurological pain. So like, could he if he yes. was able to withstand the pain? Yes. Okay. That seems like that'll happen at some point. Uh, yes. But also, um, I mean, I think it's like if he pinches someone, it's a lot. But like, I think if he were to bite someone, it'd be a lot, a lot, a lot. Okay. One of them shout, it's on me. It's just so weird they keep calling it it. Makes sense, though, if you just think of it as, like, a creature. Yeah, but he's, like, he looks human most of the time. Right, right. But Spike is able to fight back. He hits one of them with a fire extinguisher. That maybe makes sense, because he's not causing the harm with his person. No, it doesn't make sense. Okay. But, I mean, he's not, like, hurting anyone badly. But he's also not suffering neurological issues that we see. Yeah, I think maybe once or twice he does, but, like... Even when he's trying to bite Willow, I don't see that. We do when he does it. He tries it one more time. Yeah. 
Buffy shows up. She shoots her flare gun. Not really sure why. It blinds everyone? What happens here? I don't understand. Okay, the- so the way night vision works is it takes whatever light you have in the room and, like, amplifies it up a ton. So that's uh... why you're able to see. So if somebody were to, like, fire a flare gun while you have night vision lights on, you would be blinded for a while. Because okay. it would be intense light going directly in your eyes. So she fights the blind commandos, which allows Spike to escape, which I don't think was her intention. Riley can't really see, and he kind of looks at, like, hazy Buffy, and he says, abort. Then the lights come back on. Professor Walsh is pissed. They're calling Buffy Spike's accomplice. They don't know it's Buffy, but they say that Spike has an accomplice. They don't know what he looks like, but he must have been very big and strong. Good news, though. The implant worked. Hostile 17 can't harm any living creature. They say he can't feed or barely even hit anyone anymore, and they're confident they'll bag him. Bag it. Sorry. Next day. Puppy dog Riley runs into Buffy in the quad, I don't know, the grass. He reminds Buffy that she's got to be careful out there. Buffy calls the incident at the dorm a fraternity prank. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot you lived in Stevenson. So did he actually forget that till this moment? I'm trying to figure out if Riley knew it was Buffy. Because he kind of looked at her and was like, stop. And he's been to her room, Mm -hmm. so maybe he suspected. Right. And when they were, like, talking about it being a man, he kind of wanted them to stop guessing what Spike's accomplice looked like. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we'll find out next episode. I don't remember, honestly, if he knows it was Buffy or not. You think he would call her out right now? Right. It seems like it would have to be called out if he knew. But he is lying about, like, oh, I forgot that because he knows that's where her apartment is or her dorm is. Maybe he forgot, but he was there, like, yesterday. That's why it would be insane that he would have forgotten. But Buffy's like, why do you know where I live? And he's like, oh, Will and I are working on a project. The project's you. She's helping me court you. He doesn't say that. <laughs> Can you throw this ball, please? I really want to check it. <laughs> Where's my frisbee? We're outside. Uh, you said we're going for a walk. She's like, oh, uh, what did you want to tell me last night, by the way? And then the little romance music starts playing. He brings up cheese like a weirdo. She calls him peculiar. They're going to be a great couple. They're both peculiar and love cheese, apparently. There's a lot of people that ship Riley and Buffy. I kind of like this whole... I'm not serious. <laughs> oh. Sorry. I didn't want you... Okay. Well, I mean, I, I do kind of like this little Romeo and Juliet thing that they're setting up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, he's, like, maybe hunting her now. Right. Even though I still don't know that he's a bad guy. Like, I don't know if this organization's bad, but right now they're on opposite sides of it. They both want to get Spike, so maybe they'll work together. Riley is not a bad guy. But, like, they have these secret identities that are opposite right now, but they're coming together Mm -hmm. in their, uh, I don't know, normal lives. So that's interesting. She doesn't seem into him at all yet. Which is, is that why people don't like Riley? Because the chemistry's weird? I mean, I know. It's, I don't know all the reasons. You don't like Riley. You don't like his hair. I didn't like Riley the first time I watched the show. Maybe I'll like him more now, but his hair is gross. So far, it seems very forced. Yeah. This episode was the big turning point. Like, they didn't have really, other than him, like, lusting after her a couple times, but he hadn't realized that he liked her until this episode. Yeah. We had him, like, say nice things to her and had some books fall on his head. Yeah. Like, their first meeting, he didn't give a shit about her at all. He, like, forgot her name. Which is fine. But him, like, instantly realizing he, like, oh, I guess I do really care about her. Like, come on, whatever. So did you think this was a good one? Yes and no. I liked that we got to learn about the initiative. I liked that, uh, like, Spike is trying to do some stuff. I liked that we find out Riley's issues. Issues? Sorry. I like that we find out, like, what's going on with Riley. Like, oh, he's the secret agent. And there were some funny parts, like the Willow talking to Spike stuff was funny. The Xander fight was really funny, I thought. Mm -hmm. Xander and Giles were fun. Xander and Giles were funny. But there's some crazy stuff, too. Like, the initiative looks dumb. (laughs) It looks cheap as shit. And the flare gun, too, was like, what is this? This is, I can suspend my disbelief for a lot of things in this show, like demon snake monsters. But the flare gun just didn't make any sense. It was clearly like, okay, we're going to see this again. This is a Chekhov's flare gun. Right. But overall, I do think it was a decent episode. Yeah. I think I mostly just didn't like the weird shift between Riley's friends being, like, all crass to being his, like, love gurus. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, I think... A lot of guys do talk that way, but, like, when you realize it's not just a sex thing, then they do change. It it just, yeah, I don't know. Riley's shift in general felt weird. Yeah. I agree with you on Riley's shift. I mean, the friends, though, I could see guys talking that way. Like, oh, those girls are like, oh, I'd have sex with them. And then it's like, oh, I care about them. Okay, well, now they're a human being to me. (laughs) Not that that's okay, but that's, I feel like that is not totally off base from reality. Right. Once they knew Riley was into her, they are not trying to have sex with her anymore, I guess. Which is nice. Which episode do you think was better? Mm-hmm. See, they're kind of similar. I agree. Like a lot of great parts, but like a lot of, what? That's kind of weird to yeah. put in. I think I'm going to go Buffy. 
I think I'm going to go Buffy too. Like, it's another one of those razor edge. Like there was a lot that I liked about Gilmore Girls, specifically the show at the end. But like I really didn't care about any of the other stuff that went on in Gilmore Girls. And there was no plot stuff. Really. Yeah. Buffy moved the plot a lot. A lot. Like for once. Yeah. The season hadn't really moved the plot at all. Totally. But a million props to Gilmore Girls' uh, like last act with the paintings. That was fantastic. Yeah, there wasn't anything that made it like a bad Gilmore. It just the art thing was the only thing that really made it kind of good at all. Yeah, Bo was funny, but he was in it for like a minute. And Kirk was sometimes not funny. I wonder if Buffy's initiative set piece budget went all to Gilmore Girls' art installation. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're saving this for a Gilmore Girls episode. Well, guys, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buff the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 8, Pangs. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 8, Die, Jerk. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you know what they mean by Teutonic? Would it be weird if a TA walked into your dorm room? What other arts would you have liked to see portrayed by the Stars Hollow people? What was your laundry situation like in college? Did you suspect Riley was one of the people? Let us know. Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post all kinds of interactive and behind-the-scenes content. And for more bonus content, you can subscribe to our Patreon page, where we post weekly video reviews of the show Angel, host monthly live-streamed watch parties, and share other bonus content. Yes, and shout out to all of our new Patreon subscribers, Anna Catherine Moore, Terry Beckwith, and Amy Triplett. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you very much. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by subscribing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Brian and Stacy, or by taking advantage of our wine partnership with Wink, or by making a one-time donation. All of these options are linked in the episode description and in our social media bios. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing your feedback, and it really helps get our podcast discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For even more comedy content not related to the podcast, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. That's right. We also make comedy sketches, play board games maybe soon, and review movies in a similar style to our podcast. For all that and more, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If social media is not your thing, you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Um, do you have anything to say? I don't. Okay. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye.